0: Babylonians took the carpenters and the smiths to remove a vital trade from Jerusalem so that they could not reinforce their walls or their armies. You need several things to build up a wall. You need a carpenter. You need someone who knows what they're doing. And you need a smith to forge metal for either defenses or weapons. So what Babylon did was this psychological warfare by taking out all the people that could reinforce them for a rebellion. So we see this situation is not good. And he says who he sends the letter by, by the hands of, El- of Elish, uh, Elisa, the son of Shaphan, of and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent into Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying. So here we see the people that Jeremiah uses to deliver this. And we see there, there are two men, and you can look through history and look at both of these men, and uh, I think it was Gemariah, who was uh, uh, he was a friend of Jeremiah's, and Jeremiah was able to use him in his political job of transferring this message to give a message to the Israelites, to a situation that they had not planned for, to a situation that wasn't promising at all. We read the book of Daniel and you can see what it's like to be a firsthand, uh, I guess victim of the captivity with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Young boys, not not much older than maybe 16, 17, taken away from their home and uh, mutilated and enslaved to the service of a wicked king. And that's the way for every person who is taken away to Babylon. They're in a strange place with a strange king, strange customs, and God is no longer there with them. We know at this point the Temple of Solomon would have been torn down by the Babylonians. The very presence of God for the for the Israelites is carried away. You see I'm not a patient person. I'm not going to lie. I've always struggled with the idea of being patient. That's waiting when when I I'm, I'm I'm I struggle being patient when I'm waiting for something. Whether it was waiting for Christmas to come 20 something days away. Um 29 29 uh, whether it's my birthday, uh, when I was a kid, summer break, how many of you kids just can't wait for that summer, okay, how many teachers can't wait for that summer break? I saw Heidi go back over here, like, uh, pick me. I remember uh, November, we always took a trip to Missouri for a week, and that was always a highlight of the year, because it was Tyler, Careth, myself, and dad, us four, we hop in the car and we go to Missouri for a week. I always felt bad, it's like, we're leaving mom behind, not realizing that was mom's favorite week of the year, probably. He's like, I can cook what I want. I can eat what I want. Don't have anyone clinging on me all the time. But I remember I was like, man, I cannot wait until I get there. And I would get caught, so caught up in wanting something different. How many of us have said that I cannot wait until fill in the blank? Raise your hand if you've been guilty of saying that. I cannot wait until I'm in a better job. I can't wait until school is out when I was in college, I can't wait till I'm finished with school. I can't wait till I start to feel better. I can't wait until I'm out of debt. I can't wait to get a hold of this sin issue or this addiction or or my bad attitude. I can't wait till I get into a better house where I can afford something better. We all have those moments, and it isn't a bad thing all the time to hope and wish for something better. But what happened when we decide to let until take up more time than it should? Have you ever been consumed by that I cannot wait until thought? Well, that's the only thing you think about when you wake up. Man, I can't wait till I get into a better house. Man, I can't wait till I get into this. I can't wait till I'm financially independent. What happens when we come to a place where we think, where all we think about is what may happen instead of what is happening? The nation of Israel here was placed into a predicament where they've been taken captive by Babylon. Jerusalem is left without a temple, without a wall, without its leaders. And now the Israelites are forced to wait in captivity. It's easy to see the people were probably all consumed with the thought of, I cannot wait until God delivers us. You see, for the last few hundred years, Israel had been, had been caught in this cycle of sin where they went from following God to idolatry to captivity, then freedom. Then they asked for a king back in 1 in Samuel. They said, hey, Samuel, we need a king. Wendy and me are doing this in Quam right now, and we... We've taught about King Saul. Initially he starts off as a, great, as a great leader. But he took advantage of God's mercy and grace and led the country into a, a time where they're split into two different countries of Israel and Judah. But they're afflicted by several major ungodly leaders. And now they're at this point where God has said, I've had enough of you there. I've got to do something to get your attention. You see, our lives are often thrown into chaos and turmoil, whether it's a failed relationship, a financial mess, maybe a child just not doing what they should, or the possibility of losing a job or your home. Whatever it is, it's difficult adjusting to that new normal that God decided to let you live in. But is that it? Is there just existing? What do we need to grow even in the hard places that God brings us to. So I'm going to give you four things in the next four verses of this chapter. Four things that we have to do as we wait. So until then, number one, recognize that God is in, the, in control of your situation. Recognize that God is in control of your situation. Look at verse four of chapter 29. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Unto all that are carried away captive, look at this next part of this verse, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. We can have a bad habit of always looking for the next best thing. How many of you guys ever heard the phrase, the grass is greener on the other side? So often it's because it's astroturf. Dad used to always say that. True satisfaction is not a place or a person even. True satisfaction won't come from financial success or financial security or a relationship that you've been craving for. It is our relationship with God that satisfies us. You see, God knows where you are even when you don't. The Israelites had no idea where they were going. They had no idea what was going to happen. They had no idea how long they were going to be there yet but God did. He knows where you are even when you don't. He knows where you're going even where you cannot see. We understand that the walls are torn down, the temple is taken away, and through this entire occupation, God provided people to fulfill those roles later on. You look at the story, Nehemiah comes out of the king's court. He is a a cupbearer for the king. God used that role, that place, that that person for a specific thing. He knows where you're going, even when you cannot see. And he will provide despite, despite the circumstances, even though they seem overwhelming. Imagine what the Israelites would have said, would have heard or felt when they said, whom I have caused to be carried away. God, you've, you've left us to do this. God, you've abandoned us. God, you've, you've sent us this foreign place. We need to, as Christians, decide how to look to God before we look to any other source. Isaiah 55:8: For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void." But it, it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Recognize that God is in control of our situation. So until then, until God, till we get to that point where we want to be, recognize God's in control of where you are. But number two, surrender to the place where God has put you. Surrender to the place where God has put you. Look at verse 5. This is God's command to the people. Build ye houses and dwell in them. And plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Build ye houses. Take the time and create something that will last. But not only that, and dwell in them, he says. Don't only build it, but make it home. Make, it, make memories here for your family. Provide for your family. Our role as Christians, as a spouse, as children, as a parent, et cetera, does not stop because we aren't where we want to be. Instead, God has given us a role in the waiting time that we can invest in both ourselves and the people around us. When I was in school, I this was a bad habit, and I don't know if Wes and Laura and my, de- my parents would say the same thing. You go to a Bible college, and the entire, I guess, most of... of the motivation is to get out into ministry. Most of the kids you meet, most of the guys in the dorm or the girls in the dorm, their goal is to be in some form of ministry, whether that's as a teacher, a youth pastor, a pastor, a missionary, an evangelist, whatever it is. Their passion and their goal, their calling is to go into ministry. But so often, so many of them lose their ministry in Bible college, hoping for the ministry that they may have one day. I was at school with a kid, great guy. I remember he was the kind of a star star student. Everyone loved him. And we thought he was gonna do awesome things. I remember about junior year, he started getting really, really discouraged. He's like, you know, I'm done with this, I'm done with the classes, I'm done with the rules, I'm done with the handbook, I'm done with with all this mandatory stuff, I'm done with the dorms, I'm done with all of this stuff. And you saw him lose his joy for ministry. And unfortunately, today, he's no longer in the ministry. Because he didn't invest in where God had him, even though it was uncomfortable, even though it wasn't preferable, even though it wasn't what he thought was right, he abandoned and forsook what God gave him in search of something that God had not yet given him. High schooler, listen here. God has a ministry for you at your age. Senior, this is a hard year, don't look for graduation so much that you lose sight of what God has for you today. Adult in here, don't lose sight of the fact that God has a purpose for you now wherever you are. Like, well, my job isn't great. I don't have a whole lot of time. I I, my, my family's taking a lot of time away from me. I can't do this. I can't do that. Forget that. Recognize that God knows your situation. So surrender to the place where God has put you. Build the houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Work while you wait. Don't just sit by and let the things go to waste. Enjoy the blessings of this time. Look for them and you will see them. The biggest regret you will have is not making the most of the time and the place that God has you in. If you rent, but you want a home, make the rental as comfortable as possible. If you're in a job that is just keeping you afloat until the real job comes, make sure you're the best worker that your employee has. Teens, if you're waiting until school is over or until graduation, be the best student you can be. Don't waste the time that God has given you wishing for time that he hasn't given you. The Bible has this word rooted. It's a pretty, it's a discussed topic in the Bible. And the most famous passage is Colossians 2. And it says this, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, you've been saved, you've accepted Christ as your savior. So walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as ye have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. Roots are an important part of agriculture, if you didn't know. It is a root that brings nutrients and life to the plant. Without them, the plant withers and eventually dies. The Bible can be said, the same can be said about a Christian spiritually spiritually and physically. When we decide not to grow where God has us, when we're not growing in what the Bible says and where God has us, the only eventual result is an unhealthy decline. See, we need to plant roots wherever we are. It's not saying God can't use you eventually somewhere greater. But plant roots where you are. We we have this uh, phrase, grow where planted. Because roots help us grow. Roots keep us healthy. But roots also help us produce fruit. The devil will look to you and see you wither, will want to see you wither wherever you are. He'll use the tools of distraction and discontentment he will to influence your decisions. You, can't, you can make more money somewhere else, he'll say. You'd feel happier if you moved. You'd feel more financially secure if you moved to a less liberal state. You're holding yourself back there. This cannot be what God wants you to do. Those little lies that Satan plants in our life, those little things that Satan plants in us to get us distracted and to to neglect where we are, are just there to cause us to fall. God commands, not recommends, commands that the Israelites who are taken captive here to make Babylon their home, to plant roots and watch God provide. We need to make sure that we are not neglecting what God has already given to us. For the hope that maybe he will give us something better in the future. I say, I've said this to, I've been told this as a worker, and I've I've said this to people. How can I trust someone with the responsibility if they're neglecting the responsibility I've already given them? You, You business owners in here know this. I'll use James as an example. James, you have a lot of guys that work for you. If the guy can't, if, let's, I'll use Austin for an example. Austin's fun to pick on. Austin's a hard worker. Austin does a lot. He's proved himself as a great worker, so he's got thick skin. But Austin's first day on the job, they're at a work site, and James says, Austin, you need to go unload that bunk of lumber. Not a fabulous job. You just stack wood from one place to another. It's not really the job that you're like, man, I'm in construction to stack wood. You're not really doing that. But Austin can go and he can throw a fit saying, this is not why I got into this business. This is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. And he can throw a fit. Why would James trust Austin to do something greater down the road? Ladies and gentlemen, God's given us a role right here and right now. And if God can't trust us with that role, whether it be a Christian, a parent, a church member, a neighbor, a father, a daughter, a wife, If God can't trust us with that little role, how can we expect him to give us something greater down the road? Now, thankfully, Austin does a great job. Austin helped cover all these. I mean, he's done a lot. So Austin's a good worker, so we don't have to worry about that. Don't make fun of Austin later. But we have to be surrendered to the place where God has put us in, but we have to be willing to cultivate that place that God has put us. Don't look for something greater when you can't handle what God's already given you. So surrender to the place that God has put us. Thirdly, invest in that place. Invest in that place. Look at verse 6. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there and not diminished. There's a difference between existing and investing. We can exist anywhere, but God wants us to find value in the place where we are. This is often the hardest part when we are in an uncomfortable place or we're still adjusting to where God has put us. We don't like where we live. We aren't thrilled with the lack of relationships we have. We despise trying to adjust to maybe it's adjusting to being single again or But God has given us hope, and he's given us alternatives to what we are longing and pining for. You know what to do? You want to want to know what to invest in? Number one, invest in your family. Invest in your family, the people who will not leave you. You recognize you might feel completely alone. Invest with that person who's next to you. Invest in your church. The Bible calls this the pillar and ground of truth. It's the foundation that will uphold you. Invest in the place where you worship. That might mean getting involved or, or attending more than just one service, but invest in your church and invest in your community. The place where God designed you to be. I'm grateful I live in Morgan County. Is it the prettiest place in the world? Absolutely not. It's a little flat. It's a little brown. But I love it to death. I remember the day I surrendered to stay out in Lancaster. Those of you who have ever been out to Lancaster, it's really not a great place. Is it Greg? Where's Greg? Greg loves Lancaster. He's all about asking about Joshua trees. He loves Joshua trees. Joshua trees are these demonically looking like cactus things. They're really freaky. But I remember when I was in Lancaster my senior year, they had offered me a job at the church, and I remember I was struggling because it's like, I'm graduating, the last place I want to stay Is here. I grew up in a very small church. In this church, I grew up knowing a lot of people's names. I could go to this person, this person. I knew them all. Now I was in a church that had a membership roll of close to six thousand. I remember going in on a Sunday morning, and I might know a grand total of maybe four or five church members. And I was like, God, I don't want to stay here. I'm like, I'm not gonna. I don't. The job they're offering me is fine, but it's not. It's not stellar. It's Lancaster. It's not the prettiest place. In, I mean, the beach is an hour away, but I'm not, a, I'm not built for the beach. I, I don't. I'm not. I'm a mountain person, like Sasquatch all the way. But I remember I was like, God, I don't, I, I don't know if this is where you want me to be. And I remember struggling and struggling and struggling. And one night I had it. I was in my room. It was about midnight. And I had it. I was like, okay, God, you and me, we're nailing this down tonight. And I told God, I said, I'm going to go find a quiet place, and I'm not leaving there until we figure this out. So I remember going to the worship center auditorium. It's about 1 in the morning at this point. No one is out. All the, all the um, it's called Blue Crew. It's kind of their Mr. Toms of the place. They're a bunch of college students that do it, and they've all gone to bed. And my, car, my scan card got me into all the buildings late at night. So I went into the, into the worship center, and it's dark, and I turned on one of the lights. And I went down to the front, and I just sat down at the altar. Remember, I prayed for about an hour. And I want you to know for about the first 45 minutes, it was me listing out reasons why I should not be at Lancaster. But I remember God finally said, you know what? Give it a shot. Let me, let me show you what I can actually do. And I surrendered. Now, I'm not saying it's Babylon. I'm not saying Lancaster's Babylon by any means. But I remember the moment I surrendered, I accepted the job the next day, and I started working that next week, and I joined the church the following Sunday, and I remember the more and more I sat in, the more people I got to know. I met Jack and Tina Geddes, an old couple who ran the baptistry ministry. Their daughter is Heidi Gardner, a missionary to Japan. I met Jack and Tina and got to meet with them. I, Clyde and Terry Tussey helped set up tracks for soul winning. Uh, Tina Major helped me in the in the outreach office with a bunch of our maps. I remember the more and more I got there, the more invested I got, and the more I realized, hey, this is home. And I was completely surrendered to what God has. But it came with this. Throwing away what I desired and surrendering to what God has for us. Invest in God's place. Matthew five thirteen, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith it shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. The waiting time is often a place where God can help build you to accomplish a greater task. When we decide to squander the time that God has given us in this until-then time, we are ill-prepared for the things that He wants for us. The people that God is planning on us influencing need to know that you are willing to influence those that are around you right now. Don't expect God to use you in the future if you're not willing to be used right now. So invest in the place where you are. And lastly, look at verse 7. Acknowledge the peace that comes from satisfaction, from satisfaction in God instead of your circumstances. Look at verse 7. And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives. And pray in the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof ye shall have peace. We see something interesting here. God makes a command that is not centered around the Israelites, but around Babylon. He commands the Israelites to seek the peace of the city. He's commanding his people, those who are broken, those who are captive, those who are discontented, dejected, to strive for the betterment of the area. He's allowed them to be taken to. Your situation is not a surprise to God. Your heartbreak is something God can only heal, but you can not only heal, but use to better you as a Christian and as a person. When we decide to allow God's peace into our lives, we see so many blessings flow. There's a certain part of peace that I love. There's a picture. I I need to find it and put it up. There's a painting a pastor in chapel one time promoted called Peace. And it's this rocky mountainside, and you can see it, and the wind's blowing, and there's rain. And it looks pretty terrible. But if you look closely, nestled in 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 the rocky mountainside is a little bird in a covered nest. And it's titled Peace. Peace is not the absence of trials, but the willingness to surrender to God during them. Peace comes from accepting God's circumstance. Peace comes from loving God's place. And peace comes from growing in your role in God's design. Psalm 37, 3, trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass, and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. I am grateful that whatever we do, we can trust in God, knowing that he will bring the best stuff for us. Now, I'm not here to preach prosperity and saying that if you trust God, he's going to give you everything you want. But I will say this, you trust God, you won't have to want for anything. He'll give you that new desire. Discontentment is basically the lack of peace in what you have. You might not think that there's anything right now to be content in. Your relationships are damaged. Your your family's dissolving. uh, Thanksgiving might have been really hard on that for you guys. Get all those opinions around the Thanksgiving table and watch them fight. Dad mentioned that today. Your future isn't secure. Your livelihood may be in jeopardy. But I want you to know it's not over yet. God is still in control and wants to know you and wants a relationship with you. We need to stop focusing on what we don't have or haven't experienced and instead focus on what God has already given to us. Acknowledge that peace comes from satisfaction in God instead of satisfaction in our circumstances. And hopefully we get to the point or we can claim verse 11 in Jeremiah 29. It's kind of a good verse for all of us to have. For I know that the th- I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace, and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Ladies and gentlemen, we can come tonight, we can come to a point where we say, you know what? I'm fed up. I can't wait until I get out of this situation. But what are you going to do until then? What are you going to do with the time that God has given you while you wait for something that he may give you? Recognize that he's in control. Surrender to the place where he's put you. Invest in that place. Acknowledge that peace comes from him instead of our circumstances. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you, Lord. Thank you for bringing us out tonight. I pray you help everyone tonight. Keep us safe as we go home. And Lord, I know it's a, it's a long, tiring day, but I pray that we can, inv- we can take something and we can apply it to our lives. But Lord, we can invest in those around us. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us can seek the peace of the time that we're in, of the place, with the family, with the person that we're with. Lord, just seek the peace in that time. We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen.